they, they made it really simple. They were like, Peter, don't double think anything. Like make this the best operation, the best facilities and the best place to be because we're going to go compete with everybody to win a championship and nobody's going to question how great Milwaukee is. And that's like what we try to do. The facilities part was easy. The people part is always tough. So we continue to like want to make this a place where players are like, shit, I've never been treated like this. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Red, and welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast, where I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and other top performers who rose to the top, took success into their own hands, and bet on themselves. Today, I'm talking with Peter Fagan, president of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks, and formerly vice president of marketing for the New York Knicks, and director of marketing at Six Flags. In this episode, we talk about Peter's incredible career accomplishments at major brands, his rise from recruiter to president, handing out parking tickets in the Bucks lot, working for social justice in the epicenter of the global movement, and his unique leadership style. Peter is a serious businessman and a hilarious friend. His is a story of grit, will, and great humor. If you need a shot of good inspiration and a good laugh, Listen to this episode. I guarantee you'll find motivation and guidance from this remarkable man. Here's my conversation with Peter Fagan. Peter, Peter Fagan, I'm just honored and uh, grateful that you took the time to, to, to be on the cast today, man. Well, Mr. Red, I would, <laughs> as you know, it's kind of for not, I'd do anything for you. So this is an easy, this is an easy period of time. This is probably the best, the best hour of the week. I, I just uh, I got to start the, the the podcast off with uh, before we get into our history. Someone just texted me and that wanted me to ask you this question. Um, uh, I heard or make the statement. You are you the employee of the month? Huh? That's an interesting. <laughs> that is an interesting statement. That's an interesting statement that can only come from it can only come from one of two people, like in the entire organization, like you're uh, either fucking Chris Middleton or Jack. No. <laughs> I got my sources. I, I, you know, yeah. I got my sources. <laughs> now we've been, uh, we've been, uh, Chris, Chris Middleton, as you can imagine, nobody understands that these, that players have been having to get COVID tested twice a day yeah. and come into our training center. And, you know, we have parking spaces and Chris parks in a handicapped space for his five <laughs> minutes he's in. So I've been ticketing him, you know, like with yep. $25,000 tickets, $50,000 tickets with little notes. I've been telling him. So, of course, he's just had enough. So I um, might have caught myself parking in that situation a couple of times as well. And he started to document it, you know, that I was a hypocrite and uh, <laughs> playing with it. So before I did it again, I changed the two spots, you know, by the testing place to uh, instead of uh, handicapped, they now say uh, employee of the month <laughs> and, uh, on the floor. So. So that was my my one get back to uh, kind of surprise him because I think I I think there were a few spies that were taking pictures of every time I parked in uh, in that spot for a second. <laughs> so I, I I did some research and and so uh, the sources got back to me. Um, the the one thing about you that I've seen over the years is that uh, you keep the 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 culture you know in, like in a funny mood, right? It's always joking, a lot of joking and and the team, the organization, um, from what I've heard and, and and know of you is that they really, really, really appreciate your leadership within the organization. 
Um, you and I go back since you came back to the Bucks or since you came to the Bucks. Um, and you guys have been incredible to me uh, over the years since you've been in a position uh, in Milwaukee and uh, really grateful um, of our friendship over the years and, and how the organization has welcomed me back uh, to the organization. Well, I think like you talk about the opportunity, you know, for for a great, you know, historic organization like this to to embrace, you know, its former Olympian, its all-star, like a, a person who's current, like in the game and, and really as an asset, you know, to like how we build our brand and how we build our awareness and likability around that. It, it, it just kind of one of those no brainers to like, why wouldn't you, you know, embrace Michael Red to really be a reflection of our franchise in such a great way because it's kind of like what the great teams and brands do around the world is like we've got this unbelievable legacy which you're part of um and 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 how do we almost like flaunt it in like a good way and 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 it's kind of easy like it doesn't it's definitely not brain surgery it's like how do we between us like as you know like how do we talk beyond just coming to Milwaukee but how do we how do we do business together? How yep. do we work together? How do we affect the community together? Those are all things that are kind of seem simple, but not done all the time. Well, I love you back and and I love your brother. And we'll get into the, to the twin uh, in a little bit. Um, so for all the listeners, I played in Milwaukee for 11 years, over a decade and, and had an incredible time there. And, and Peter now is the president of the Milwaukee Bucks and uh, has done an incredible job um, over the years with the Bucks since he's landed in Milwaukee. Um, the, the podcast, as you know, is, is all about betting on yourself. And, and and talk about what that means to you, Peter, like betting on yourself. And you've done this a number of times throughout your career and, and your life. What has it meant to you to bet on yourself? Yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, I, I take everything from athletics and I obviously was kind of like, I, 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 I call myself the division three dream. You know, like I played soccer and basketball not overly blessed like with athleticism, but kind of like would say I kind of got to got got to play through high school and college with like just grit and will and, and really like persistence and, and relentlessness. And I think like, you know, the only thing anybody can control is like their own effort and kind of their own dreams and and where they want to go. And I, I think, you know, I I kind of have this delusion that there's nothing that I can be a part of that we can't accomplish. Like there's gotta be solutions. There's gotta be ways to get there. You gotta think about what the objective is, but, but I truly do believe like that just no is not an answer. Um, there, you know, if you surround yourself with smart people kind of on a team, if you surround yourself with great players, like you, you can figure out a way to win. And, uh, and that's kind of the way I think about everything. So it's a little bit kind of nuts and delusional to go through thinking like you can, kind of accomplish or solve or, or get anything done. But it, it's kind of the way I've, I've I've kind of attacked life in a big way. Is there a pivotal moment that you can think of, even as a teenager or as a young kid, that you bet on yourself in a major, major way? Yeah, I think I think I moved, you know, I, I graduated from from college and uh, and and had a job, had an opportunity uh, for a job that was kind of nuts. The first kind of fully owned African-American uh, sports agency whose main client with, was Arthur Ashe. And, um, and I knew who Arthur Ashe was, but I wasn't like a big tennis guy. And my job was basically being Arthur Ashe's like right-hand person through, and I don't know how many people know this, like towards the end of his life, 
he really kind of did exhibitions, talks, uh, and meetings, like literally until the day he almost died and, and traveled the country and the world as, as really kind of an incredible like role model with an incredible story. And, and for a year of that, like I kind of dropped everything and just kind of toured the, toured the country with him, organized schedule, kind of understood like the revenue part of it, kind of do, but it was like one of these kind of divergent life lessons that you don't know where life takes you and just take total opportunity for it. And it was kind of like an incredible moment. And that like small, short, less than a year instance kind of just opened my eyes to like, oh my God, the world is like incredible. It's got so many other opportunities I never would have thought of ever. And it's kind of as an adult got me to a place where like, I desperately want our youth to to get exposed to things they wouldn't normally get exposed to because that's how they learn what's out there. Were you always a risk taker or was that cultivated in your household or where did that risk taking ability come from? Yeah, I don't know if it's so risk. I mean, now that I work for like three owners that are kind of in finance and private equity and guys who take mm-hmm. real big bets and everything, I don't know if I was so much of a risk taker as I was kind of attention deficit and and impulsive. You know, I just wanted to get it done and, and kind of yeah. move the needle and, and kind of why would we wait till tomorrow when we can get it done today? So I, I'm like, as you know, extremely excitable and like just want to like kind of attack it and uh, and love like the challenge. I don't think there's anybody better. Um, maybe I'm biased, but knowing you and, and, and seeing what you've done with the Bucks, I, I got to talk about the journey to the Bucks, though. Uh, and I know you had a background in marketing and, and you work with the Knicks at, at, at certain points in your career. Um Ned Jess, we've talked about your 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 background. Talk about the journey to the Bucks and how did that happen? Uh, and then why Milwaukee? So I mean, this is talk about you never know what's gonna happen and where. I have an identical twin brother who's the headmaster of a school in New York City that all that all of Wes Eaton and Mark Lazary's kids went to, who are two owners of the Bucks. Yeah. And maybe 15 years ago, while I was working at Madison Square Garden. My brother was in a parent conference with Mark Lazary, and Mark might have mentioned that he wants to look at some teams. And my brother said, oh, my God, like, if you're going to go look at teams, grab my brother. He's not the smartest guy in the world, but he'll certainly know the business and he'll, he'll like help you out beyond your hedge fund guys and your data guys. And make a long story short, I went with him. I think, you know, the first trip was to Philadelphia and we looked at the Sixers and then we looked at probably 10 other teams like over the next decade. Um, and it was like a fantasy, you know, I don't, I don't know, like you know, being able to be a business person and, and kind of get away from your day job and go into a data room of like a pro team seemed like just the greatest thing I'd ever, I'd, I'd ever experienced. And I didn't need to get paid. I need to do anything. It was kind of like take a weekend and, uh, and moonlight into a fun job. Well, long story short, like, you know, six years ago, he calls me and he says, Hey, can you get to Milwaukee to go meet with Senator Cole? he's really, we've gotten through conversations and like, I think like he's going to sell the team. Be great if you represented me and kind of went down there and looked at the business for a second. And uh, 24 hours later, I think I called him from uh, the Fister hotel and said like, Oh yeah, he's going to sell the team. Like, and he, he like loved you guys and what the conversation is and I'm digging into the business and I had no desire to run it or to move to Milwaukee, but in a short period of time, the prospect and the opportunity of just not running a team 
but kind of building a city and the real estate and the expansion and kind of where Milwaukee was as a city and kind of an inflection point was just kind of one of these miracle um, situations. So the end of the story is I was responsible to hire a CEO. So I, I got two or three candidates I knew Mark and Wes would hate and <laughs> they couldn't, they couldn't hire them, you know, cause they, they didn't like something about them and they were kind of stuck at the last minute deep in the summer. Crazy, crazy story of how things happen. So the recruiter became the president, basically. That's right. That's right. You, what you do is you, you submarine like the entire process for yourself. And this was like a decade long process, Peter? I think building the relationship with Mark, you know, probably through looking at other purchase opportunities and, and kind of talking through it and then kind of understanding that he knew I was kind of like keen on the operation side and understood like a team in an organization's PL, um, you know, for a good way. And at the core, I've always been a sales and marketing guy. So, you know, for, for people who run businesses, you know, to have an operator who's really geared up and wants to drive revenue is, is kind of like a positive thing, especially for Mark and Wes. Talk about the process of redeveloping downtown. And and for one who's so in love with Milwaukee and it's like a second home to me, uh, living there for so many years, I took great pride in seeing the development of uh, of downtown and what you guys are doing with the city. Talk about that process. Yeah, kind of surreal. We We got here and kind of the first job was to look for a site. And the second job was to really get public backing, you know, to, to, uh, to build an arena, to demolish the Bradley center and, and build a new arena, which were, which were monumental big things to happen. And then I think like the most incredible thing, which, you know, I can't see happening in a major metropolitan area again is like, we were able to acquire 30 acres of contiguous land, you know, so then you start thinking about really building a district in like a small city within a city. And one of the incredible things that Milwaukee did not have was kind of a meeting place. You know, there's no living room. There's no central square. There's no, you know, big public park kind of in the middle of the city. So we saw this as the opportunity of, oh, my, oh my goodness, we, we can create a landmark and a destination with the arena as really the centerpiece. And really build like sports entertainment and residential and commercial around it and really have like an urban development company that is fueled by like the strength of a brand of an NBA team. And uh, and, and lo and behold, kind of, you know, five, six years later, you know, we, we've kind of accelerated it. We've developed about 75 percent of it. And, uh, you know, people are living here, working here and playing. I think COVID, like everything, slowed us up about a year. But you know, we're back on it. We're going to, we're going to, we're, we're going to develop some residential and uh, we'll hopefully have a great commercial tenant in and uh, you know, we continue to build and, and this is like how cities evolve. Like how do we become attractive and bring more companies here and bring more empty nesters and college graduates and make this like a really attractive place to live. It's becoming that and has become that. Um, the one thing that's been impressive for me um, being a part of the family is seeing how you all embrace the city. I mean, from the local barbershops to local business leaders to having owners that are from Wisconsin. Like there was a collective effort on you guys to really, really embrace uh, the city. Talk about that. Yeah, I think that was necessity because, I mean, you lived here for 11 years and I guarantee you 
as great as everybody was, they still thought of you as like a Columbus, Ohio guy, you know, like yeah. it's hard to build trust here. And, and it's like provincial and people like, you know, Wisconsinites are, are close to so imagine a fast talking New Yorker, you know, coming in and, and kind of, you know, standing on the soapbox, promising, you know, the world and kind of great change and a great building that the only option we really had was to build grassroots and build relationships and, and take time like across the entire community the good news is it's pretty small shop, you know, like this is a small town, even though it's a big city, like everybody knows everybody. You had to kind of build the equity by, you know, saying what you're going to do and then doing it. It was, I, I, I don't know a better way to say it other than grassroots. I mean, I probably, I probably publicly spoke for the first time in my life, like a hundred times in the first 200 days to everybody from Lions Clubs to the barbershop to to the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts to, you know, kind of preach how big a deal it is for a city this size to have and keep an NBA team, how big a deal it is to renovate downtown and how big we can become and what a billboard the Milwaukee Bucks should be for Wisconsin around the world. I mean, that's like, I mean, literally over and over and over again, um, relentlessly, you know, and the whole team to, to get it done. So it, w- it was kind of, you know, it, kind of building – Try, you know, building rapport and trust, you know, was the only way to to kind of get this done. The facilities, uh, everything that you guys have done so far is is remarkable. My favorite part of coming to Milwaukee is going into your stash of gear and getting the hoodies and, and, and the gear. I know you love gear more than anybody. Oh, I mean, my, my, <laughs> mouth, my mouth just watered. I mean, if I didn't have real... If I didn't have real responsibilities of a family and a wife who actually says we need to live somewhere and stuff, I could get I could get paid in gear. Like my my fantasy, I had two fantasies growing up. One was to have the keys to the gym, and the other was to have the keys to the gear closet um, <laughs> to get it done. So you know, I, I can't be too vocal because if the owners knew how valuable it was that, like I you know I, I conceptually run like a retail operation. With, with thousands of uh, pieces of apparel. I mean, I'll tell you an interesting story. So Giannis and I have an interesting relationship and like sometimes I need him, sometimes he needs me. So he's at the All-Star game and I literally said, it's too bad we're not on Zoom because I'm holding these. I literally said, hey, Giannis, do me a favor. Don't come, don't talk to me, don't text me, don't come back unless you get me a pair of All-Star socks. Like I need socks <laughs> and I know they're not making them. Like these are special socks. So you bring me back a pair of socks I don't care where you take them from, like then we're on a good path. And Giannis knows whether we're talking about a big deal, whether we're talking about marketing, he knows those socks. Like he's good with, he owns me for a month now. He owns me. <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo and, uh, and and that team is is so special to watch. I'm so proud for his development, known him from a rookie to where he is now. And, and Chris, obviously, when Chris was a rookie, I said, do you know whose jersey you're wearing? And he said, yes, sir, I do. I said, man, make sure you represent. And he has represented at the highest level, and I'm so proud of him and and the, and the team and the roster. Uh, you serve as like a mentor to them as well. Talk about that relationship that you have with the players. You know, I think, um, you know, we have, a good, we have a good structure where John Horst is really our GM and kind of really runs the basketball day to day. And I think like my job is kind of like the overall business and operations to go is like a rapport with them that again, like in the best case, I always think like an NBA player 
is a, you know, this is a human business. Mike, you get it because you lived it. Like very little sympathy or empathy for, for pro athletes because of like what they get paid. But this is like, this is, this is literally a business like based on like humans and psychology and emotion and how we feel every day. So, you know, my job's like pretty simple. Like how do I build, build the trust with them, let them know, you know, I, they're part of our, they're part of the family. Like we are one big family, you know, we're not an organization that like splits up into, into that, into silos of business or basketball. Like we have resources, we back them up, whatever you need. It's like part of it. And again, it's kind of like the relationship, like we screw around a hell of a lot, but let me tell you, if like, if one of our guys was in trouble, if like we need to circle the wagons, if we, if they need advice on, evaluating something they're doing like they know that like it's extremely objective it's immediate and like that's what we do here like we built an infrastructure you know to to our owner's credit on they they made it really simple they're like peter don't double think anything like make this the best operation the best facilities and the best place to be because we're going to go compete with everybody to win a championship and nobody's going to question how great milwaukee is and that's like what we try to do the facilities part was easy. The people part is always tough. So we continue to like want to make this a place where players are like, shit, I've never been treated like this. Like wow. this, this is where, this is where I want to be. By the way, I've got access to the team president, like the GM, everybody yeah. is like all around just a resource and help. It's been wonderful to watch. And and uh, I've got to get Mark or Wes on, on the cast as, along with John. I've known John for, I don't know, 13, 14 years. And uh, to see what he's done with the team as the general manager has been really impressive. Um, proud of him uh, and all his success. You know, the family, <clears throat> I know that's big for you in, in that culture. And, and what you try to create as a culture is family. And the family went into the most unique times that we've ever seen in our lifetime uh, a year ago. Talk about all the nuances and the dynamics and the pressure it was to lead through COVID, and we'll get to social injustice in, in a bit, but talk about that dynamic leading through that. Yeah. So I don't think like uncommon to probably everybody and certainly like every leader, or everybody who has a real responsibility, like the last 12 months were like nothing we could have ever imagined, we could have ever thought about and, and really reacted to. So how do you navigate the ship through waters you've never been through before? And And that's kind of like you do it with like great people around you and you do it you know, for us, like kind of like my job was like to be to be that rock and support and and think about, you know, if you told me that, you know, 50 percent of my time would be would be spent on making sure all everybody is OK, that like we everybody understands their benefits for their health insurance, that we're getting psychological help, that we're feeding people in the community, that like we are on top of not just marching for social justice, but that we're dealing with like police reform, that we're resourcing our players. That yeah, this was a year you couldn't even imagine. And and I think of it, Michael, the answer the second part is like, you know, we thought we were woke. You know, we thought we were like a progressive, like pretty like you know, forward thinking organization. And I think what happened like in this year in so many ways was like a great splash of ice water, thinking like, boy, we got a long way to go. We got we gotta like we want to use our platform to affect change and change the world. And we thought we we're in a place and we're nowhere close to how good we can be or, or how we can use this NBA platform 
and our players and our organization to, to help change the community, to help change our performance as a team, and to, and, and to be better citizens. So this has been a surreal year and tough as a leader because it's it's exhausting. And then with all that going on around you, I mean, navigating the waters from a business standpoint, uh, talk about that, you know, as far as the league and, and individual teams. Yeah. Well, a year ago yesterday, we went to zero. So, you know, people talk about business. It wasn't a, a slow beat. We stopped operating. So we stopped having basketball games and we stopped having concerts and we stopped, we closed our restaurants down, you know, and you immediately go into what does this look like? How could it be? Nobody ever thought, you know, it would be a year shut down, but you know, our owners are kind of like incredible people who, who want to see a plan, want to see a recommendation and want to want to go forward. So it was really about cost containment and, and preservation of jobs. Like how could we keep mm-hmm. kind of everybody afloat as long as we possibly could? How could we reduce our costs like immediately knowing that like we weren't operating and like what sort of plan could we have when there was some sort of light at the end of the tunnel to, to kind of ramp back up in a big way. So that was, uh, you know, and, and sort of weird comfort in that, like everybody in the world was going through it, but, uh, Boy, you you talk about how you go to sleep like the night, you know, a night in March, you know, in the middle of March last year, thinking like, oh my God, there's no business, um, mm. and that's before you're worried about what what a health scare is, you know, because I don't think we're really worried about kind of like we would think, you know, half a million people were going to die, you know, that what would happen to, to to you know to to hospitals and ICUs and things like that. This was just at the very beginning, the first thought was, oh boy, like we don't have a business, not sure when we will have a business. How are we going to attack this? So the league obviously is uh, halted with COVID. And then in the middle of all of that, you have the George Floyd issue. And then you have all of the incidents around the country, including Kenosha. And I believe in my heart that the Bucks were real leaders um, in that moment. And obviously you have dealt with a little bit of this with Sterling Brown a couple of years ago. So you guys have been prepared for this a little bit, but talk about that nuance and being leaders um, on the social injustice uh, play. Yeah, I think it's part of the, the culture and kind of down from ownership. Like you're going to stand for something or you're going to stand for nothing. Like it was important for us, to, for our players, for our organization, for the city to stand up. And because Blake was like in our backyard, like literally in Kenosha, which, you know, is like so close. It became personal, you know, and it became like one of the greatest things ever is like how it affected the players, because that almost helped accelerate the importance of it. And then like, you know, one of the more proud moments, you know, in pro sports, you know, we lead a boycott to a game that becomes really a pause for the entire world, literally the world, like across like European soccer, across everything for people to at least like stop and think um, and, and the Milwaukee Bucks like players were like the catalyst for that to happen in a big way. And I think it was like a checkpoint for, for us certainly, but for the whole country on like, you know, like, boy, this is, this is one of those inflection points that we've got to make matter in like a big way. And we sat down as an organization with the players, with the owners, with the executives, and just said like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna double down. Like, we're just gonna we're not only gonna be public, we're gonna privately help, you know, kind of move the cause and funding. We're gonna have like systematic plans that last years instead of 
events or days or months, and we're gonna we're committed. So it, it was kind of kind of crazy. Like it was like you couldn't even if you had a thousand scenarios, you know, of, of what the last year could be for like the Milwaukee Bucks and what you're kind of thinking about and dealing with. You know, it's it just been like a, a pretty incredible ride and like ton of emotion. And I really do think like so powerful and so great because like it, it really accelerated the chipping away of the systematic racism, if nothing else, you know, brought it to the forefront and like the top of discussion in mind. No, the whole organization showed a ton of grit from ownership to yourself to management players, even losing the Democratic National Convention last year, um, but yet still being leaders with more than a vote movement. Just amazing. Amazing. And from your perspective, how was the bubble? Um, that, how exhausting was the, bu- the bubble? Yeah. So that, those are two great questions. So first of all, the bubble was kind of like so exciting, surreal and awesome. Like I volunteered slash got myself pushed into the reset committee of like the bubble committee on the NBA to like do something that's never been done before, right? Like how do you create like a hermetically sealed bubble for people to compete in like on a campus and all the thousands of touch points, people, logistics and everything. So just being a part of that, I mean, I know it sounds crazy, was like kind of so much fun and learning so much and kind of being on like teams with like really diverse people all around the league and around different teams. So so that part of it was was awesome. I think nobody could have imagined like what that does to you, you know, on a personal, psychological, emotional level. Like, you know, it's just, it's just kind of, kind of really trying. I mean, the fact that, you know, players, you know, had just had it, you know, is, is no surprise. It is, it is a really tough existence. You know, even though you're at the world of Disney, even Disney, like after about 10 days, you're ready to get, get out of Disney, no matter where you are. The mental health. And wellness of the players, right? Talk about that nuance because, you know, like you were saying, from the outside in, you, you can say, oh, the players haven't made their own one space. They're at Disney. They have all the amenities. But I'm sure it wore on the players uh, in that process. No, like the players, you know, the, you know, nobody has the, the awareness that, you know, most of our players are between 20 and 30 years old. And it's right. like for the rest of the world, it's like the most developmental time. So these guys are thrown into a world where they're like, responsible for everything. They assume they know everything, you know, and, and like what their experience is. And you know what their experience is. Their experience is basketball. Like they have been through a system, if nothing else, like highly competitive basketball, you know, for the last, you know, 12, 14 years, including kind of being shelled up in college, you know, and what the pros are. So you take away every form of like a 20 to 30 year olds, like life outside of basketball, you take away their family um, in a big way. And by the way, then you isolate them, you know, in, in basically like a stay at home kind of mode in the middle of a pandemic and really like a social justice, you know, kind of uprising in while they're locked into a bubble. And you create this like really confusing, frustrating, challenging environment that, you know, you know, Mike, when you were playing, like maybe you had a few performance psychologists. You talked about how how do people help you think through, you know, clutch times. Like that was out the door. You got into really like how do we create resources for people to just talk about how they're feeling, about how they vent, about how do they get how do they get support, you know, for their lives, not like 
how to just excel in basketball. So whole different world kind of came came around with COVID. I'm a big believer that the healthier the person, the healthier the product, the healthier the business. You're exactly right. And 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 kudos to you guys for being cognizant of that. These guys are human beings. Um, people will ask me all the time, like, how would you respond in these times, Mike, as a player? I was like, I don't know. I can't even imagine um, what these guys are going through. And so through all of the minutiae and all of 2020 and now going into the, 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 the new season, which we're in now, um, managing to still focus the organization on winning a championship. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of where is the balance, right? Like the whole world is like on that balance. So, you know, part of what we haven't really talked about much is is like our culture here. So, you know, I think for myself to Coach Bud to John, you know, we all kind of are on the same page of preaching like this is a performance culture. Like everybody like everybody knows like you are going to work your butt off if you work here. You're certainly allowed to have fun because like we have fun. Like the key is you're going to hopefully be doing something you love with like people you love and, and working your butt off. But, you know, there are expectations and, you know, our expectations are to consistently improve and grow as a business and consistently improve on the court and, and, and vie for a championship. And, you know, you've got to put with everything going on in the world, you know, there's got to be that balance of like, Hey, there are priorities. Like sometimes, there's a house on fire and you got to focus on putting out that fire. No question. But you got to remember there's the rest of the neighborhood and like, we've got to continue to, to focus on, on, on the task at hand. And like the task at hand here is like, you know, the more successful we are on the court, the more successful we are on the business, like the more opportunity we will have to do other things. So I think we have that balance. And I think, you know, the balance is really, really tough because you know what an NBA season is. I mean, nobody understands like, you know, players have a handful of days off the entire season, like players, you know, for 50 nights a year land at one or two o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. you know, to 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 get home and 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 kind of do it. what the time balance is. You know, it, it's there is no time balance. So it's kind of surreal. So it really is kind of like all of us working together to figure out what the balance is. There's no right equation like it keeps on changing, but we've got to we've got to be able to pivot and understand when, when we're, when we're out of balance. You talk about coach Bud and, and the whole team or organization, um, which I think coach Bud has done a terrific job thus far. And also obviously some additions with Drew Holiday and other great players we have this year. I love our chances this year. Uh, sincerely. One thing that impresses me about our organization is how diverse it is. Talk about the importance of having diversity in the front office particularly. Yeah, well, I think, again, it kind of goes back to we thought we were like this awakened organization because like our percentages looked good. You know what I mean? Like I think yep. we had, we, we oh, we had a decent amount of African-Americans. Here's like your Asian-Americans. Here's your Hispanics. And we skewed higher than, you know, most NBA teams. And then we kind of sat there and said like, oh my God, like this kind of like, why are we looking at other people's metrics? Like we should put our own definitions and like, we should continue to improve and a diverse community gives us diverse thought, gives us like better outcomes. How do we change the model and really put new metrics out there, you know, for us to get it. And I think, you know, even when we looked at ourselves, we're completely diverse, but we had like, we weren't anywhere near where we should have been on the leadership side of being like a diverse leadership. So how do we figure out and reorganize on like the senior leadership um, pattern? So, you know, for us, it goes back to like constantly being, 
really honest and forthright about where you are and how you can improve. And, you know, we, we come from, you know, a city that's, you know, the urban city is, is 40% African-American, probably 20% Hispanic. Um, right. You know, like, why shouldn't we, why shouldn't we resemble the city we, we work and live in, you know, instead of kind of what national things are. I mean, just different ways we started to think about doing this, you know, like the, the NBA is, you know, 80% of the players are African-American, you know, in such a big way. Like what are the balances of, of management, of coaching, of, of anything else? And if nothing else, like we kind of, I always answer everything, you know, pretty simply, like anybody who wants to joust with me or do anything, I, I was like, well, just tell me where you're against equality. So if like you're against equality, then like we probably never will understand or get along or mm-hmm. agree with each other. But for us, it's kind of like, how do we make an equal playing field? How do we make this like smart and equal? And that's tough too. You know, that's a, that, and that's ongoing, you know, that's not a, here we got to the finish line. I think that's something that you, you work with every day. I don't know if that's the responsibility of the organization to have that permeate throughout the city, but have you seen a shift in Milwaukee, even when it comes to people coming together from different races and different creeds? And have you seen that shift a little bit in the city since Milwaukee's kind of spearheading that, the Bucks? Yeah, not as much as you'd like to see it. I think we find it like it's a responsibility where we can, we can set the example and we can innovate and then we can shout it from the mountaintops. You know, we can expose it as like, here, we're the example in Milwaukee, really surprised, like, you know, they're, they're, you know, the 15 largest companies aren't following our lead, you know, and kind of like, where are they? So we see it as like this great opportunity to lead by example and then to almost market and promote it, you know, as like this should be more the the norm than, than, than not the norm uh, in a big way. But it's also, listen, like, you know, I wish I, I have patience for nothing, you know, and I think like what I'm learning and, and trying to get a grip of is, is like, how do we chip away conti- uh, uh, over every issue of, of like social justice, whether it's police reform, whether it's incarceration, whether it's education, whether it's food deserts, wh- these are all massive, huge, systematic problems for generations that we've got to chip away from every day. And there is no magic wand that kind of changes this, you know, in six months. So that that's been kind of part of my learning is like how do we create a system that we're in a much better place six months from now and a much better place twelve months and a much better place three years from now that we've shown you know change you know in metrics and results and uh, everything like that. After knowing you for the last six years personally, um, two qualities stand out: extremely funny and extremely generous. And and so talk about that in, in your leadership style, um, generosity, uh, and how important it is to give back. Yeah, I don't know how to talk about that other than like my 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 dad was like my hero, and like he was selfless and kind of kind of quietly just did anything for anybody, and 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 kind of was like that. That's how I had value for him, and I think I think there's I'm not I'm not that much of a spiritual person, but. I feel like I have been blessed slash lucky 10 times more than I'd ever thought I'd be in my whole life. Like I talk about it all the time with my wife, with my brother, with everything. Can you imagine like, holy cow, pinch me because like, this is, this is so awesome, like where it is. And I think, you know, I think it's all how you, 
how you go. I, if you've been that lucky and you've been that blessed and you got to share it, like it's, it's kind of like the joy of, you know, I, like I said, I was, I was like a, uh, I was a, I was a rough athlete compared to the Olympian all-star I'm talking to, but I, uh, I best, best way to talk about it is like, I, I'd rather throw the pass than hit the shot. Like I got, if, if my guys in high school or college, you know, gave me the, gave me the finger, you know, like as the point back on the assist from like a back door or something, I, I think I got more of a thrill out of that than I got out of scoring, a, scoring points. Wow. Well, that's you. And, and, and I know how much you love your brother and, and your family, your wife, your kids, that balance, right. Be, between what you do with, with Milwaukee and obviously uh, with your family, right? Because there's a lot of founders and entrepreneurs that listen to this as well, and you know, managing that dynamic with their family. Listen, if you have a partner in life, they better be a teammate. You know, they better know you. They better get you. My wife and I have known each other since high school. Unfortunately, I probably haven't changed like mentally or emotionally like since we met. But she, she's, she's my, my she's my teammate. You know, she is like we're in this together. Like she, you know, couldn't be more supporting from from everything like, you know, she's a teacher. I'll, I'll talk with her about her students and, and kind of, you know, support her while she's correcting her papers is the same way she'll listen, you know, through what I'm going through. Like it it is so important that, that kind of, at least in our infrastructure, I've got, I've got two brothers, my mom, my, you know, my, my other family members, like it really is part of your life. I'm not a good example of, of life balance because like I kind of blend them in such a big way that, you know, my kids, my, my, my brothers, my mother, you know, my wife, they're all part of, they're all part of it. And, you know, they've all, they all live, you know, kind of the job and we all live kind of each other's lives. So I'm never a great example of like where the balance is and what the cutoff is and everything, because it's, it's all one big puzzle to me. If you had to go back to your 16 year old self, what advice would you give your 16 year old self? Oh, just, just, just (laughs) listen, just listen, like, just try to be quiet. Just shut up for, shut up for 15 seconds. Like, let that person speak. You know, I I think if I had kind of the listening skills that I still need to get better at, I I would be better, you know, at at, at kind of, at at kind of understanding and more importantly, kind of like building, um, building like such a strong infrastructure with like other people. Like I had this tendency, which I still do to get so excited and loud and like, Hey, you got to hear my idea, you know, or something. And I think like with time, you certainly kind of can, can take that. But boy, if I could have mastered that a little bit earlier, um, you know, that, that, that'd be one of the things I would, I would do is like, how do I hold my impulsive self to shut the hell up? (laughs) Now that's great advice. I, I going back into the past is something I wanted to ask you about. But now going into the future, obviously in the present now, we got fans at the games now, which I know is massive uh for for the organization. The future for the Bucks, championship, championship, championship. And 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 obviously getting fans back at the games. Talk about that, Peter. Yeah, I think number one, it's restarting the business. You know, it's it's truly like a restart, even though we just opened up a a building two years ago, like you're starting at a place where, you know, we're going to, we're going to have some attrition and lose some fans and have to build equity back up and get back to basics of like building ticket sales, building everything else that that's like, that's today's kind of like, what are we focused on? And then I think, 
you know, the bigger picture is like we, we really have to accelerate becoming the world's team. You know, our expectation is to win a championship. We've got like one of the global sports stars in the world. Like, you know, he's bigger Giannis yeah. is outside of the country than he is inside of it. That automatically and having him sign for the next five years, that gives you this springboard that we think like there's no way that the irreverence, the likability and kind of the coolness of Milwaukee can't be a team and a city that like the whole world cheers for in, in such a big way. And how do you rethink your strategies for retail? How do you rethink it for broadcast, for social, for everything to really appeal you know, to the world in, in like a whole different way. Like, you know, we're talking about localizing all of our social. So, you know, in every language you can imagine uh, to absorb it, you know, from us so we can tell the story, you know, that sounds like a little piece, but that's a big piece in the world. We're talking about taking global influencers, you know, from F1 drivers to surfers to everybody else and kind of like who, who are intrinsically becoming buck stars and having them be our influencers like around the world and thinking about global campaigns. So, you know, I think that the, the sky is the limit and in how we take this like unbelievable success and what we think could could be a championship and get ready just for exponential growth. That's that's the way we think about it. That's exciting, man. You sound you sound super excited about the future. I'm so honored, man, to have you on the podcast. Obviously, uh, your assistant helped set this up. Shout out to Sarah, who is, I think, one of the best assistants out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she's terrific. And, and just the whole organization, man. And I, I'm, I'm honored to, to, to be a part of the family, man. So, so thank you uh, for being on the cast today. Uh, Michael, like I said, anytime, anywhere. Peter Fagan. He said it. This is a human business. And that is one of the best ways to summarize Peter's spirit. He loves people, and he'll go nearly to any length to support, develop, and back the people he works with. You're a true friend, Peter, at least until you drop a parking ticket on me. Thank you for coming on the show. You can follow Peter on Twitter at pfagan. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Michael Red, and remember, betting on yourself is the secret to your success.